Welcome to the Walkworthy Podcast, a podcast by Hespler Baptist Church located in Cambridge, Ontario. Our local church exists to make disciples who walk worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. We hope and pray this is an encouragement to you and to anyone else you share this with. Hey everyone, Sean and Caleb here. Thank you for tuning in to the Walkworthy podcast, which may be a first for some, maybe a returning visit for others. And what we are hoping to do in this episode is have a conversation that really launches from uh, Caleb's sermon this past Sunday, so the first Sunday in January, and, uh, and also ties together some comments that were made after the live stream ended because a lot of people were watching online with everything that's going on right now. And uh, there were some, I I hope, helpful comments made that tied with Caleb's message, but also gave a little bit of uh, insight into why he preached that sermon this past Sunday uh, on the first Sunday of the year. So Mm -hmm. that's what we're here to do. Caleb, thanks for giving us time for that. Hey, happy to rehash the sermon. That's great. We typically do this on a, a Tuesday, usually a Tuesday afternoon, we sort of do a Sunday debrief. And so this is like a second kick at the sermon debrief can for us because we did that already this week uh, with Brian and, and Tom as well. But uh, we're happy to do that here. And so one of the, the things that I, I want to say right off the bat um, is, uh, and we can you can in, contribute obviously as well, uh, as to why why you wanted to preach this sermon um, on the first Sunday of the year at this time in the life of our church. Why don't you, why don't you just go for that? Because you really brought it up. Yeah. Well, we were discussing what do we preach as the first sermon in the new year. Um, It must've been at the beginning of December or end of November. And typically what we've emphasized um, on the first Sunday of a new year is a sermon to do with, you know, reading the word, the beauty of God's word, something that really rallies us around uh, God's revelation. And um, as we were hashing uh, through ideas in our pastoral meeting, uh, the idea was brought up that maybe a return to the text where our statement of faith has been derived from would be uh, most important at this time in the life of our local church just due to the fact that over the last three or four years, we'll call them, um, we've had a changing congregation. Uh, We've had people added to the church. um, And uh, the years where the statement of, or I should say the mission statement was um, sort of written, put on the wall, uh, communicated to the church, communicated to ministry leaders, those years uh, are not something that those who have joined the church in the last three or four years uh, would be familiar with or heard emphasized as much, though you would hear it in a membership class. You would hear it, you know, in different streams of teaching. Um, we just really wanted to highlight um, the importance of what is on the wall at our church, walk worthy of the gospel. And, and not making any assumptions, as you said, because of a lot of the changes that have been happening happening in the life of our church, which we thank God for and celebrate. Um, so uh, it, we just don't want to assume that people know what we mean or what we're talking about when we talk about things. And so I, I really appreciated your thoughtfulness and leadership 
in suggesting that we embark on 2022 with that at the outset, just uh, refocusing our attention and explaining it, which will be a repeat for some and uh, would be sort of initiatory for others. And, uh, and I think that you accomplished what you set out to do very well. So thank you for doing that. Well, added to that as well, you know, we, we have this propensity as Christians and the church to drift away from our mission. Yep. Mission drift is always a danger. And so even those of us who were there back when the statement was being written and established and all those sorts of things, sure. uh, we're, we're forgetful. Yep. And we need to remember um, these things that um, tie us together and that inform our mission. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was a message for everyone at the yep. church and uh, myself included. And it was really the first time I'd worked through exegetically the text myself. That's so true. It was of great help to me. Good. Yeah, I, I've done it. Uh, I was sort of around, I guess, when the original conversations were happening about, you know, what, how are we going to sort of, uh, in a short phrase, sort of codify or just express what we're about as a church. And so I, I was, uh, I, I don't think I was an intern then. I think I was in the associate role then. Um, I'm, I'm sort of drawing a blank on the, the dates, but um, I was able to be in the room and, and uh, be at the Gospel Coalition Conference where Philippians was being preached and, and this was generating some of the discussion amongst uh, myself and Greg and Roger, who uh, Greg was the senior pastor at the time, and Roger was also on staff then as well. And uh, it came about relatively quickly because we had been spending uh, a lot of time over the course of a few days uh, sitting under the sun of, of God's word as Philippians was being opened. And, uh, and it sort of has just, it, it's gone from there. Um, and so, yeah, I've had a chance to do that. I'm glad that you've now had a chance to do that. And uh, we just wanted to reinforce it um, and uh, by having this conversation, because we really want people to understand uh, what's driving, uh, what we're doing, what's on the wall. And as you said at the end of your sermon on Sunday, make sure that what's on the wall is actually happening down the hall in our lives, our homes, our ministries, classrooms, teaching, membership classes, etc. Uh, so that's a little bit of the sort of history as to why that sermon uh, this past Sunday. And uh, why don't we take a few minutes to just sort of uh, rehash some of your main points there, Caleb, with a caveat that if you haven't listened to the sermon, you should stop listening to this and go listen to the <laughs> sermon and then come back and listen to this. I think that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, one of the, um, I think one of the, the dominant point, I think, was, was the point really at the front of the sermon, uh, which is the exhortation that Paul makes to the Philippians. Up until this point in the book of Philippians, he hasn't made an exhortation to them. And, um, and, and right off the bat, in verse 27, his first exhortation in the book is, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And the, the strength of this exhortation is really seen in the amount of times that Paul, in one form or another, reiterates this statement throughout the New Testament. Um, yep. I, I quoted in the sermon, he says it in Ephesians, he says it in Colossians, he says it to the Thessalonian church. So why this emphasis? Yeah. And um, the I think the meaning really clarifies the, the need for the emphasis, which is walk as a citizen 
Yeah. Uh, the verb there means to walk as a citizen. And so unpacking that theme of citizenship was a, a real pleasure and delight as, as, as I thought about um, not my Canadian citizenship, yeah. not my citizenship in the U.S. I'm a dual citizen, but my citizenship in heaven, which is emphasized so much in the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah, and so not only does Paul mention this concept of, of walking or living, behaving as, as citizens in multiple places, as you highlighted, but this idea of citizenship comes up in a, in a number of different places as well. So I think you quoted Ephesians 2, Galatians 6, Hebrews 11, and uh, I like what you said, we hold a passport that's better than Canada or the U.S. or wherever, whatever country we come from. And uh, while we might have a national pride over the places of our birth, uh, there is a greater uh, citizenship that we have, which is in heaven. And I think what you were doing there too, Caleb, is really following the pattern of, you know, a lot of New Testament letters in that you were reminding us what we are. Hmm. And from there, then we have to live as we are. We have to be as we are. So we are Christians, so we should live that way. We are citizens of heaven, so we should live that way. If, of course, we've trusted Christ. Uh, and if we haven't, we ought to. But uh, that's, uh, so you, you emphasized both of those and tied those together and showed how uh, sort of uh, regularly they appear in the New Testament letters. So I gave a few reasons or a few ways that we actually live like a citizen of heaven. Yeah. What are some of what are some ways that that you can just think of off the fly? What does it mean to live as a citizen of heaven? How would you answer that question? Yeah, that's really good, and I I think the language that we find um, let me say this first the language that we find to describe it like walk worthy um, it really is a very sort of pedestrian um, uh, description in that it seems to encompass all of life. And I think there's even a tie back to what we've been seeing in Genesis when you think of uh, Yahweh saying to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. And then Paul is picking up what seems to be similar language in the New Testament because he's a reader of the Old Testament. And so when I think about this, uh, I think about it in a way that encompasses all of life. Hmm. So behave, we're, we're always citizens of heaven um, and that's where our citizenship lies. And so walking in a way, living in a way, behaving in a way, is really something that touches all of life. And so I think it's actually quite hard to narrow down. I mean, we can be specific, but I think the applications are, are really endless, which isn't an attempt to dodge your question. No. But uh, uh, I, I think that uh, we, need to, we need to think like citizens um, of heaven. Uh, we need to speak like citizens of heaven. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you mentioned these things or not, but the way that we spend our money should be reflective of being citizens of heaven, uh, our treatment of others. Uh, really, you just can keep going to every facet of life. Yeah. And uh, we ought to look at every facet of life and, and ask, which I think you did in, in similar words, um, would, am I reflecting where my true citizenship lies uh, if someone was to look at this area of my life? So I guess we can get really specific, um, what we watch, uh, websites we visit, uh, how we use our phones, uh, all of those different types of things. So is that what you're looking for? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what's really interesting 
um, transitioning into sort of the second point there is that the first thing that Paul mentions after saying walk worthy is stand firm in your unity, like strive for unity with one yeah. another. Yeah. And that unity it, it arises out of the gospel, as we talked about um, on Sunday, yeah. but it, it also arises out of, you know, lifestyles, Christian lifestyles within the church that are compatible with one another. Right. Because we're all walking as citizens. Yep. And, and I think that that is um, a little bit different than uh, what you emphasize and what's in the text. But when we do that, we say something profound about the gospel because of the way that that does unite us, because we do come from different like countries. We do come from different walks of life. We do come from uh, different experiences. We're different ages. We speak different languages. Uh, uh, we have different pasts, but we are joined together and become citizens of heaven because of the gospel. And I think that should say something striking. Um, and when we're not striving together in harmony, I think we actually undermine, uh, we communicate in a way that undermines uh, the, real the realities of the gospel. So, it, it's not really that surprising. I don't think that Paul's next comment is on harmony uh, in, in, on the heels of citizenship. So I use this illustration uh, of, you know, eight, eight guys in an Olympic, yeah. on an Olympic rowing team. Uh, they've got a, you know, they have the same goal, the same rhythm, the same training, the same effort, all these sorts of things. Otherwise, that boat does not fly straight as an arrow down the lane. And uh, if one person changes the rhythm or slacks off or isn't pulling their oar anymore, that's a, that's a big deal yeah. for you know, the boat. What would you say to that Christian who, who's listening to, to that illustration and they go, man, I can't pull my weight in the boat um, as well as you know, Stephen can or sure. as well as Tom can or, or whoever. Uh, sure. What would you say to that Christian? Yeah, that's a really good question, and and uh, I think it was Brian that asked this earlier in our uh, earlier in the week, and when we were talking in our in our pastoral staff meeting, um, I think that uh, I would say that the boat is bigger than eight, so it's a great analogy, and I reuse it if you ever repreach this text, but the boat is bigger than eight. Hmm. Um, we are a congregation of we have around two hundred thirty members, and so there are going to be times and seasons when we are going to be more needy than we are needed. And there's going to be legitimate reasons for that. And so I think that um, I, I, that's okay. I, I, it's all right for us to have seasons where we're able to, where, where we're not able to pull as hard um, as we otherwise would. And by God's grace, we trust that there is provision in um, brothers and sisters who are able to pull uh, their weight and maybe for a season able to pull more than they normally would to give other people a breather uh, so that uh, they can recover their strength their zeal and, and they can pick up the ore again so uh, I think for the struggling brother or sister who is hearing that and thinking man I'm, I'm letting the team down um, I think that it, it's okay uh, we're we're called to bear one another's burdens, which means to get up underneath that and carry it and to help carry it. So in times of need, uh, seasons of need, it's okay uh, for us to, to lean and rely on our brothers and sisters. Um, there are 
there are illegitimate reasons for that. Um, sin weakens us. And uh, if we are trying to go in a different direction in that regard, then I think that there's maybe a little bit more of a rebuke or a warning that's required and that we're not pulling our weight because we're entangled in sin that we shouldn't be um, in significant ways that is really taking us out of the race. But uh, suffering and sin is going to be part of our lives from here on to the new heavens and new earth. And uh, we just, we, we need to help one another, cheer one another on, bear one another's burdens and uh, make sure that there's time and space for people who are suffering and who are uh, dealing with the aftermath of sin. And uh, we just give grace to one another. Anything you want to add? Yeah, that, those are really good points. I, I think the only other one that I would add is the fact that someone might be a newer rower. Uh, sure. They might have joined yeah. the boat for the first time, right? They might be a new Christian. And um, I would say to them, look at the, the training regimen of the guys that have been there for longer or the sure. gals. And um, pattern your training after them, pattern your life after them as they follow Christ. That's good. And I think that's one way that, um, you know, someone's strength and endurance is built up. So, yeah, I think that could be helpful. That's good. And, and you see the, again, a, a, an often repeated uh, exhortation to follow the example of others, to, to set an example and to follow an example. Uh, and so we absolutely need that, which is part of the discipleship journey of, uh, of following Christ. So this unity is important because, you know, as the text goes on, there's opposition that those who are walking as citizens of heaven face. Yeah. What, what would you say, um, you know, this opposition looks like in a Canadian Christian context? Like, like, like really, Caleb, really, Paul, like, is there, is there, is there opposition in my life? Yeah, I, I thought you re you did a really good job of of drawing out different sort of sectors where we might encounter that. Uh, I, I wrote down uh, that there are opponents in every field, which is what you said. Yeah. There's opponents in science, there's opponents in philosophy, there's opponents in politics, there's opponents in commerce, there's opponents in media, there's opponents in journalism. We, we, could, we could add to, to that list. Uh, and... Uh, I absolutely there is opposition because all of these are uh, sort of subsets, if you will, of the three great enemies that we have as Christians, which are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Mm. So uh, if we don't if we don't see that, if we don't understand that, I think we open ourselves to suffer blows from enemies that we're not even paying attention to, uh, let alone fighting against. And so maybe it's jarring to some to hear that there is that uh, source of conflict even in 21st century Canada. Um, but I think for the most part, uh, maybe I'm wrong, that I think that most uh, Christians understand that and maybe are seeing that more and more because of some of the cultural directions we're going in as a society. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. You know, when we talk about opponents to the gospel in a Canadian context, we're not talking about potential martyrdom. We're not talking about imprisonment um, per se. Sure. Um, we are largely talking about um, hostility to the things of God because the natural man does not love the things of God. Yes. And we're talking about academia. Um, we're talking about, you know, Bill C4, right? Yes. 
Um, so, so these are some of the ways that we as a congregation then need each other as we uh, link arms and stand firm in the gospel together um, against the, the opposition that um, uh, rears its ugly head in, in many different forms. And some of that is, and, and I think you sort of alluded to it, some of that is um, re- religious or spiritual uh, in that there are uh, calls for unity, striving together with those who would not have our convictions, but maybe call the church. Um, uh, and so I think that uh, we have to realize that it comes from without, but can also come from within as sure. well. And uh, I think that's a great neglect, uh, which you didn't do. Uh, it's a great neglect not to realize that is the case. And I really appreciated so very much in light of the, the reality of opposition that you talked about the two graces in the text. One of them is the, the gift of believing in Christ. So faith is a gift of God. And I fully agree with how you handled, how you understand the gift of suffering. This grace also has been given to suffer for Christ's sake. And so as the opposition maybe becomes a little bit more um, in our faces in Canada, uh, I think that we're going to have to recover uh, and learn from brothers and sisters in history and other parts of the world that this indeed is a gift that is given to us. Uh, to suffer. So thanks for pointing that out. And Colossians 1 verse 24, you know, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Yeah. Wonderful. I mean, that's, that, that really epitomizes what Paul then again says in Philippians about suffering. That's right. That's right. Well, this unity demands humility and, uh, I think humility, if we're all honest, is something that, you know, just like prayer, when we make New Year's resolutions, we say, I want to pray more. or I want to read the Bible more. Well, I feel like if there is a characteristic that the, that the Christian wants to grab a hold of more, it's always humility. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. Wow. That's a, why is that? Um, I, I think the just the pernicious nature of pride which again, you, you spoke about in your sermon is something that we grapple with all of the time. And uh, was it a letter, a letter from Spurgeon or a comment from Spurgeon that you, uh, that you, you read about this woman who was proud about not being proud? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So there, there it is. There's how, how blind we are to this uh, reality of wanting to make much of ourselves and just really wanting the like us to be at the center of our own universe uh, it's so easy for that to be the case and um, it's just it's not part of our sinful nature uh, to want to uh, humble ourselves before God before others and uh, I think we fight that we battle that all of the time yeah exactly I mean I love that I mean, I, I read it out in the sermon, but I that quote by J.C. Ryle, humility is the highest grace that can adorn the Christian character. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really I really feel, you know, as though as, as I'm reading this week, um, Romans 3 and Genesis 3 in preparation for uh, a little Sunday evening on uh, human depravity, 
I, I'm realizing so much, man, we are so bent in on ourselves and we, no one looks to God. No one seeks for him. Our eyes do not look upward. They look inward. Yeah. And uh, that's, it requires humility. I, I don't think that we're helped by, um, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, uh, anti devices, anti technology inherently, but um, we have to understand how the tools and media around us shape us and, and strive to use these resources in godly ways. Um, so I'm, I'm prefacing what I'm about to say with that, but we are uh, shaped by um, social media, which is a very self-promoting platform where you post pictures of yourself or what you're doing or your thoughts or and so on. And it's very easy for us to do this. And so I think that we have to realize these are the waters that we swim in, the air that we breathe, of just being part of a very self-promotion culture. And that is not conducive to humility. And, and you were so good as to point out um, in our pastoral meeting that verse 3 and 4 in chapter 2 have this contrast. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but... In humility, so we're outward facing, right? Yeah. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest. Oh, outward facing again, and uh, social media. Uh, while there is potential for outward facing, uh, because you know you can look at what other people are up to and all those sort of things, um, there is an adrenaline that comes from likes and loves and reactions sure. and comments and all the rest. So, sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we have to be aware of that and. And even just as an exercise, if you're listening to afterwards, uh, pick up your device and just scroll through your recent social media posts, like your own ones, not everybody else's, but just look through your own ones. And, you know, could it be determined from them that you are a citizen of heaven? Or is it all about you? Uh, is it all about us? Uh, I think those are legitimate questions to ask ourselves uh, in light of uh, in light of humility and uh, being a, a citizen of heaven and and uh and so on so then we 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 sort of you know the the last point kind of brought everything lord willing together and uh what i what i really understood the text to be saying and i think faithfully is that if we if we want this humility then we've got to look in a different direction than we we probably are yeah and we need to look at christ's humiliation and his exaltation um how, how how do we look at those things and and what in those things are we looking for yeah good let me say first i i appreciated how you understood that hymn about christ which i think runs from 6 to 11 yeah could be five verses there uh you can you can you can preach that on its own and it's 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 just so rich um to just the way that it speaks about our lord jesus uh, but in the context there it is for the purposes of um uh, humbling the readers and us. And uh, I think that there's um, just lots to be, lots of benefit that comes from spending much time in a portion of scripture like this, where we are meditating on these, these grand truths of scripture. I mean, we've just come through Christmas, so there was a lot of uh, discussion and reflection on the incarnation, which is part of that hymn. And, uh, and that alone is, it, it, you can't stay and look at Christ in the manger 
understanding who he is, that he's the God man and, and not, and not be brought low. Uh, I just, I don't think that, that, that you can do that. Uh, and so we yeah, are just understanding not only his incarnation, but as that him goes on to talk about the humiliation of his death. And we talked about at home afterwards, the way that you just demonstrated the historical horror of crucifixion as a means of death and uh, recovering that I think is really helpful for us because it helps us understand this, the, this how low Christ made himself and mm-hmm. not only in his adding a human nature to his divine nature but being willing to um, to be obedient to death even death on a cross uh, so again you look in the manger you look at the humanity of Christ you look at the cross and uh, it is uh, it, it would be it's unbelievable to to walk away from those places and be thinking much about yourself and much of yourself when he so fills your vision that way. So meditating on those texts, uh, texts like this is, is crucial uh, to help us to see that. So that, I mean, that's dealing with humiliation. I don't know if you have anything to add. Well, and you know, I, I really owe some of that historical background that uh, where I talked about the, the pain of the cross, the, the hostility of the cross to John Stott's book, The Cross of Christ. Okay. And I've never read it. You know what? I haven't read the entire thing. I've read probably about just short of the first third and and mean to read the rest. But it is a wonderful uh, tome on, you know, that just points you to scripture after scripture after scripture on the centrality of the cross for the Christian. And so if you want to meditate on the humiliation of our Savior, um, pick up that title and uh, and take a read through and look up the scripture passages uh, the other title, actually, that I would point uh, anyone who's listening to are our millions of listeners. Um, <laughs> I, I would point you to um, Frederick Leahy's The Cross He Bore, Banner of Truth puts it out. It's just a short little book and some okay. meditations on the cross, and they are beautiful. And you then, have- you know what? We do have it in the library. You're right. Oh, okay, good. I've never read it. I don't know this book. Both, um, both of those books are in the church library. Good. And, um, and the third thing that I would say, if, if someone's really uh, wanting to meditate upon the cross, um, Pastor Roger um, said a number of years ago that he reads a text 20 to 25 times before he's suitable to preach it. Sure. And I think that lends itself well to meditation on these themes. Yeah, Find the crucifixion texts yeah. and read them 20, 25 times. And, and a way to build that into sort of our, our, the rhythm of our Christian life is we, in our church, we have the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of every month and preparing ourselves to eat and drink uh, would be greatly helped by spending some time in those texts, maybe the, the morning of or the, the day before or even the week leading up to. Uh, it's not never a surprise that we have the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of the month. And, uh, and so these are resources that can help in doing that and then if we're regularly eating and drinking in remembrance of the humiliation of our lord then that is going to have a significant uh diminishing impact on pride in our lives i would i would hope and pray so i want to i want to give you uh I, I know we haven't talked too much about the exaltation of christ mm-hmm. 
but I, I wonder if, you know, just for a couple minutes here, if I could give you the three sort of sub points of the mission statement and you could tell me what they mean, practically speaking, feet on the ground. So, so boldly standing for the faith of the gospel. Yeah, that is, uh, when I think of that phrase, I think about that uh, with respect to um, evangelism and that we are, um, we're unashamed to, for the people in our lives that we work with, that are on our sports teams, that we go to school with, that live next door to us. We're, we're unashamed for those people to know that we are followers of Jesus Christ. That's just, we're just bold about that. Um, we, we don't try to hide it. We don't try to downplay it. We, it, we, what did you do in the weekend? I went to church, uh, you know, because I'm a Christian and I gather with God's people and I, I, I wanted to go and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So we just not, we're just not ashamed about that. We're just bold about that. Uh, and, uh, and then that leads to obviously we hope conversations where we're actually inviting people to, to study the gospel, um, and to, uh, just to share that with others. Uh, in a culture that doesn't necessarily want to hear that. So other ways that we can do that is we can use the the platforms that, that we have available to us to point others to Christ uh, through social media, things like that. Um, uh, and uh, and then I think there are uh, another way of understanding that is just defending the gospel. Um, we want to make sure that things are taught and, and uh, uh, and proclaimed accurately and so i think of it evangelistically being unashamed but also being willing to stand up to make sure that it's not distorted or twisted and so that might be you know engaging with people who have different beliefs and uh just having conversations and uh, those types of things anything you want to add on boldly standing no those are i think those are the two categories that are that are the main thrust what about brightly shining for the hope of the gospel? In what context do we do that? Sure, yeah. So I, the context in Philippians there, I'm just flipping to it because it wasn't open. I didn't have it open in front of me. The context in Philippians there, I understand, is that this is with respect to lifestyle because um, Paul is calling the, the church here to live differently than the world around them. And, uh, you know, uh, he, he says there, this is chapter 2, verse 15, uh, or verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So there's that, there's that uh, image of shining, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's bright. There, it, there's something noteworthy about it. And it's interesting in that context is do all things without grumbling and disputing. Uh, it's pretty easy to grumble. It's pretty easy to argue. It's especially easy to argue and grumble right now with everything that's going on in our lives and has been going on for almost two years now. But the way of the Christian is to be markedly different from the way of the world. And by that, we stand out. And so this is, uh, that's a specific way. Don't grumble and complain. That will cause you to stand out because of how easy it is for people to grumble and complain. But Paul says more there. He also says that we are to uh, be without blemish. Uh, we live in a, a crooked, twisted generation. Uh, so it's holiness. It's purity. It is uh, walking according to the standards of God's word and not compromising on those. 
uh, and the, the darker things get, the brighter that will that will manifest, and uh, that will be alluring for some, and that will be uh, that will, some people will be repulsed by that. Um, but that's that's how we do that. The first one is evangelistic in terms of proclamation and so on. The second is the way of our way of lives. Does that make sense? It, it totally makes sense. And I should add that this section that you've just read from the sort of the midsection of chapter two, verse 12, all the way to 18, holds together with as a textual unit with the text that I preached. I just tried to spare people 10 extra minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you did well. You covered a lot of ground in a very good amount of time. But yeah, the, it does hang together. And so I'm glad you brought it up so we could talk about it now. So sacrificially serving out of love for the gospel. So listen, when we were having the sort of original conversations about how to sort of capture this, uh, we uh, we were very insistent on using the word sacrificial. Um, because again, you read uh, Philippians 2, where uh, we've got the, the humiliation of Christ and, and his willingness to die for our salvation. And then shortly after that, immediately after that, you have Paul saying things like, um, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. And then he goes on to talk about Timothy. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ of Jesus Christ. And then he talks about uh uh, Epaphroditus, who was a, a fellow soldier, messenger, and minister to my need. So Paul speaks about the, the about Christ, and then he speaks about these servants of Christ uh, and himself as willing to work hard, sacrifice, actually model uh, Christ-like living by looking to the interests of others. And so that just seems to be such an important theme here at this point in the letter. And uh, certainly uh, it is, we follow Christ who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So if we're going to emphasize something, I believe that's something that's very important that we do. And, uh, and uh, this is just putting the, the needs of, in, of, of others before our own. It means, um, you know, you're asking about practically speaking, what does that look like? You know, for me as a pastor, sometimes it means not actually checking out at the end of the day when I would like to, or giving up some time I'd set aside for something else to uh, care for someone in our church, or when you're tired, or it's sacrificially giving, or, uh, and again, we can go down the list, but this element of sacrificially serving out of love for what God has done for us in Christ is something that really should mark us as Christians and as a church. And, and, you know, Christ really makes a contrast between the way that the world conducts itself and the way that disciples are supposed to conduct themselves, yeah. where, you know, the, the sacrifice is a necessary part of serving. Yes. Um, he, he says, you know, the world conducts it, its affairs in such and such a way, not so with you. Uh, that That's right. huge statement in the Gospels. And he yeah. there he's denoting the fact that we are in our witness, even in the way that we serve different than the world. We don't seek our own interests. That's right. We, we don't seek the, the, the furtherance of our own programs. Um, what, what we seek is, you know, an other's first mentality. That's right. Which is supernaturally empowered and, 
as a result, I mean, it's otherworldly. Uh, it will stand out uh, when we do that. And when people then speak to us about the, the, the way that we live and the hope that we have, it's just that we make a beeline to, to the cross. We make a beeline to Christ. And we say, it's him. It's because of him. He, he, he's the epitome of this. What you're seeing in me is something of him, I hope. And so if you're, if you're pleased of what you see in me, well, actually, I want to direct your attention to the Lord Jesus because he's the one you need to look to. Um, so in all of that, that is uh, how we walk worthy of the gospel and then how we uh, communicate the, the reality of the gospel. And that's where evangelism and discipleship comes in, where we hopefully make other disciples, others disciples who walk worthy of the same gospel. Yeah, we, we, we can say to people, I wasn't born this way. I was born again this way. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a there's a quotation by Augustine. I'm probably going to butcher it. Uh, if anything in you please me, join me in praising him to whom I desire praise to be given. For we destroyed ourselves, but he who made us has made us anew. And that's the message that we want to get across to people. Amen. Good. One last comment, because we're officially gone over, or we might go over the actual length of your sermon and talking about your sermon. But <laughs> we've talked about some other things too. Hopefully people are still with us. Uh, I, I just want to make these comments, uh, if you don't mind bearing with me, Caleb. Um, this was around the table. Um, these comments were made, and I just want to reiterate them here, if that's okay. Um, and that it, your, your call to us and your exhortation is that it is incumbent upon us to walk worthy of the gospel. Amen. We, we need to stay the course Amen. If you haven't read the letter that is accompanied with this podcast yet, go and, and read that. It's all about the need for endurance. Um, but I just want to speak a moment to what happens along the course when we fall down in sin, when we stray to the right or to the left, or we're exhausted, or we're disoriented because of sin and suffering. What do we do in these moments? And I, I, I First of all, I want to say, please prioritize coming to the Lord's Supper, because this is such a vital nourishment for us in our faith. And if you have to, if you have to miss a Sunday, and obviously we don't encourage that, but if you have to, don't make it a Lord's Supper Sunday, because there is, uh, it's a means of grace to us that God has given. And so we, we ought to take advantage of it. Um, and what that does is it constantly reminds us to look back as we remember the cross death of our lord jesus where while we were still weak at the right time christ died for the ungodly and as a result of that we have been justified by his blood we look back and we realize this has happened we have been justified so if we've fallen down or if we veered to the right of, or the left on the course we get up that that and that empowers us to get up knowing that there's no condemnation for us who are in christ so we look back, we also, we look up. There are present implications of Jesus' cross death. And one of them is that we have a high priest who lives forever to intercede for us. And, uh, and John says there, First John 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Uh, he's there at the right hand of God interceding for us. 
and uh, and uh, his sacrifice is pleaded on our behalf. And so in the mo in the very present, right this very moment, we have that advocate before the Father. And I think that that enables us to press on, to get up and to press on uh, when we when we sin. And then, of course, we have to look future. Uh, we have to look forward. We have to look to the future, where um, the the full implications of Jesus' cross death will be one day realized. And you know, Paul writes in Titus to you, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we look back at what Christ has done. We look up at what, with the eyes of faith, of course, at what Christ is doing. And we look forward at what Christ will do when he comes and through him God makes everything new. And that, all of that together, I think helps us to stay the course. I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that, Caleb, but I just, I wanted to, to reiterate that for those who didn't hear it on Sunday. No, that framework of past, present, future is so helpful as we think about where do I go? How do I stay the course? How do I endure? So no, thank you for emphasizing that at the table. Happy to. Well, brother, I think I can speak for both of us when I say that we love to be servants of Hespler Baptist Church and Amen. have a very dear affection for the saints that worship um, at 76 Adams Street. And sure. um, so we, we do this with much love and are thankful for each of you and can't wait to see what the Lord will do as we stay the course in 2022. Amen. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else except for this. And I expect that you feel the same. Amen. Thanks for your time, brother. Thank you.